All right, so we're going to be closing out Matthew chapter 10 today. Um, <laughs> so go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 10, verse 40. Um, and uh, in order to read these verses properly, we actually kind of have to review where we've been. Matthew, the verse, verse numbers and chapter divisions are arbitrary in the Bible. Uh, they don't always begin and end where a new thought begins or ends. Uh, sometimes, sometimes a verse actually cuts straight through the middle of a thought. Um, but, uh, but this chapter has been a helpful chapter because it starts at a new event and it concludes at the end of this uh, this this essentially seminar that ma that Jesus is giving to his apostles. So this began when Jesus calls his twelve uh, twelve apostles, twelve disciples or apostles to him, and he gives them a particular charge. He tells them to go certain places. Starting in verse five, he says, "Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel." So, in the confines of what is actually occurring here, we we need to understand the audience, twelve apostles. We need to understand their their goal, going and doing the things that Jesus says to do. But then, starting in verse 16, Jesus starts telling them the, uh, the, the response that they're going to be meeting. He promises them persecution. He promises, in fact, verse 16, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocents as doves. Now, just stopping there, you can be like, ah, that doesn't sound very pleasant. Uh, this is starting to go some places that kind of scary, kind of bad. And it gets worse. <laughs> uh, Jesus continues on and, and makes clear that what's going to be occurring to them are terrifying. But then he says, don't have any fear because I'm going to be with you. Not physically, but I'm going to be with you. I'm going to, I'm, uh, your, your father is with you. He, he tells them uh, these terrible truths. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father is child, and children will rise up against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Oh, but don't worry. <laughs> so so this, this is a really crammed full section of, 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 of both, oh yeah, that's cool, and oh, that's actually really terrifying, and ugh. So when we get down to the final few verses, when we get down through uh, even last week, right, when Jesus says, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth, making clear that this, this is going to be divisive, that this is going to be a problem, that this gospel, this good news, even these miraculous works that the apostles are doing are going to tear up families. They're going to, they're going to tear apart all these, these, these groups, but you know what? Take up your cross and follow him. Jesus says, and whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And then he gives this paradox in verse 39. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses, it for my, uh, loses his life for my sake will find it. 
So you're supposed to have, so the apostles are supposed to have this, this Jesus focused, this, this God glorifying centeredness to everything that they're doing. It's not just about going and doing things that are cool. It's actually going out and doing these things for God's glory and they're going to suffer for it. Jesus promises terrible things. But then he ends these two verses with an encouragement that can't be separated from all the persecutions that they're going to suffer. So let's read verses 40 to 42. Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he's a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. This is the word of the Lord. So, the Lord's first words are clear, just kind of working through these verses. And, and I, I, this, this, this section has a lot of things that need defining for us to really understand what Jesus is saying. But the first verse, verse 40, is Jesus' thought that then, then he expounds and he illustrates. So if we understand the first verse, then we can really understand the rest of it. Uh, the, the Receiving Christ means receiving God the Father himself, the one who sent him. What I thought was interesting when I did all the preparatory work for this, this sermon was, was I, I know in the back of my mind that the word apostle means sent one. That's, that's what the, the, the actual word means. But what I did not, for whatever reason, uh, conclude is that Jesus was apostled from God the Father. It just didn't occur to me. Until I was looking at this verse, when Jesus says, whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who apostled me. That's so clear and so obvious, it made me feel like a dimwit when I didn't, when I didn't see it before. But, but think about how wonderful this promise is, that the one who receives the one whom God sends essentially receives God himself. And if we can understand that uh, in, in our own confines, then we can really honestly be grateful for the ones the Lord sends us. Um, the, 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 the meaning is, is, is clear to the apostles also. Um, uh, receiving Christ means receiving God the Father himself, but not all people are going to see Jesus in the flesh which means that there must be more messengers to go out and give, give God's word to do these things, these miraculous things. And so Jesus is commissioning his apostles to essentially be little hymns, little Jesuses, all throughout the, the region of Israel, proving and validating the message, the point, ultimately bringing good news to the people of Israel. And, and in this context, again, it is only the people of Israel, right? I read it before, verse 5. Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So the apostles are sitting here getting this information from Jesus. 
they've just been promised, hey, you're going to do these really cool, miraculous things. But oh, by the way, you're going to suffer terribly and you're going to tear up families. You're going to have people that 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 go after uh, me instead of their own mother, their own brother. And it's going to be really destructive. And in fact, people are going to kill you. But remember, those who do receive you, they receive me. The, 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 those words are meant for the apostles to hear and apply, specifically within the confines of, of the context. But it's also true to us now. When we announce the gospel, when we proclaim it to somebody, when we tell someone about the good news of Jesus' atoning death, bringing us into right relationship with God, if the person accepts the message, then really they haven't accepted your message or our message, they've accepted God's specific message. We are just the messengers bringing God, God's own message to them. So therefore, um, whoever received the apostles received Christ and whoever received Christ received him whom Christ sent. And think about the logic of that again. I've used this example previously, but it's a really easy one. If I were to tell my daughter, hey, go tell brothers that I said, you know, something. When she goes and tells brothers, you know, hey, daddy said, then, then they're, they're to receive the message that I gave, even though she's just the messenger. They're, they're supposed to receive it on the, the, the authority and the thought process, the rationale. Hey, daddy said this. Daddy wants you to do this. It's not the messenger that's supposed to be focused on. It's actually the message and, and him who sent it, which would initially be me. And that's essentially what Jesus is showing here through the apostles. To receive the messenger is to also receive the sender of the message. But notice also in verse 40 that Jesus was kind enough to include the word whoever. Whoever receives you, receives me. Not all who are given this message or see these things that the apostles are about to do are going to receive it. Many, in fact, will reject it. They will fight against it, and when they do, that's where the persecution really starts. Persecution only comes after God's word has been rejected. And the Lord is not blaming the apostles for not delivering the message well enough, is he? There's no mention of that. In fact, this is an encouragement that people will end up receiving the apostles. It's instead putting the burden on the, on, on the receiver, not the deliverer of the message. And friends, that's the same with you. If you give the gospel to someone and they don't accept it, let me encourage you, it ain't your fault. Even if you totally screw it up, as long as you're not dropping heresy on them, when you give the gospel to someone and they're like, yeah, no, thanks, or uh, I don't believe you Christians, or even if they start screaming at you, their rejection is not your fault. So continue giving the gospel because whoever does receive that message from you is receiving Christ himself. Now, the rest of, the, of our verses, verses 41 and 42, are really illustrating the truth that's said in verse 40. 
Uh, it's, it's a continuation of the thought. It's not a disconnected, divorced thought. It's, it's the same thought carried into an illustration for, uh, for the apostles and for us. Now, if you have some other Bible translations, for instance, the King James or the New American Standard, uh, you might have actually heard me say something that wasn't in your text. And if you were paying attention, you, it may have, may have made you twinge a little bit. Um, in verse 41, I read, the one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet. But if you're looking at the King James or, or New American Standard, what it says is the, the one who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet receives a prophet's reward. That's how it's literally translated, the one who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet. Now, what Jesus is saying, he's actually using an idiomatic phrase, meaning that the, the, the words that you read do not necessarily convey the thought process. And that's where, that's where idioms get, get really, really terrible. For instance, if I were to tell you that it's raining cats and dogs out there, would you, would you start listening for meows and barks? No, you know what I mean. <laughs> um, and so when we, when, when we hear the phrase, in the name of, we've talked about this before, it means fr uh, under the authority of. Now, um, the, the, basically what Jesus is saying is, is, is that, that those who receive prophets because they're prophets, then they receive the reward of the prophet. Um, and that's why I like the ESV paraphrasing it or translating the, the concept for us. And I mention this because these verses, if you disconnect them from that first statement, if you were to read verses 41 and 42 in isolation, you could misapply it. Because there are a lot of people out there who claim to be prophets, who claim to have God's word, who might even be fully convinced in their own mind that they are bringing God's word to someone. And so they show up and they say, hey, you gotta receive me because I'm a prophet, because I'm coming in the name of prophecy, and therefore you have to listen to me. Or the, the next one is, would be just as fun, I am a righteous person. And therefore, you ought to receive a righteous person because I'm coming in the name of a righteous person. I have this particular uh, office. And I mention this because implied here, especially if we understand the context of, of Jesus's hatred of false prophets, uh, as evidence in, in Matthew 7, 15 to 16, uh, which, you know, I'll turn back there real quick. 7, 15 to 16, where Jesus says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Jesus hates false prophets. He hates people who don't come with, with his word, but claim to have his word. So what Jesus is actually implying here is that these people that are coming are true prophets, right? The apostles, they're prophets. Jesus is saying, this is my word to the people. And so what do they do? They go and they herald that word to the people. And then they prove it with these miraculous works. Kind of like Jesus does himself where he comes as, and, and delivers the word of God to these people and then proves this word by 
doing these miraculous works. So let's keep the, keep the context. Let's remember verse 40. Let's not divorce verses 40, 41 and 42 from verse 40, where we're, we're assuming that these are people that are going actually in the name of Jesus, under the authority of Jesus. Um, and, and therefore, how do, we, how do we clarify the illustration, right? Because the, the illustration almost seems to muddy the waters, right? Verse 40 makes perfect sense. Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. Yeah, okay. Mathematically, I can add that up, and it adds to three. So I get it. Like, it's one plus one plus one, three. All right, there we go. But then the illustration almost makes me confused. So uh, looking looking at it in the confines of verse 40. Knowing that in the name of means under the authority of or, or from the authority of, right? Just going back to that thought, why do you pray in Jesus's name? Why did I close my prayer in Jesus's name, amen? Because when I, when I pray in Jesus's name, I'm approaching the throne of grace, not under my authority, which is, Negative authority, by the way. In, in God's economy, negative authority. I'm approaching it instead through Jesus' authority. His death secures my ability to go up to God the Father and to pray to him. So um, when, we, when we realize <clears throat> that Jesus is concluding that these people are truly sent by him, they're actual prophets. Again, we're talking about the apostles here. They're actual righteous. They're going... They're doing this. When we read verse 41, then Jesus is not saying that the prophet comes from his own authority, but from actually Jesus's authority, right? It's not just because he's coming in the name of a prophet. It's, it's because he's coming because Jesus himself sent him, actually gave him the word. So for interpretive purposes, if, if it helps clarify or, or clear up the waters, we could paraphrase verse 40 like this. Whoever receives you in my name receives me. Whoever receives me in the name of the one who sent me receives the one who sent me. And I say paraphrase because that's not what Jesus literally said, but it might help clear up the confusion of, of like the King James Version, New American Standard, that are translating on a literal basis and not, not trying to detract from the actual verbiage, which most of the time I completely agree with. So what then does it mean that the apostles are going to be received? What does the word receive mean? Now, often in Christian circles, you hear the phrase receive Christ. You know, did you receive Christ today? Have you received Christ before? Unfortunately, that sentence honestly doesn't mean much to a person who's not acquainted with Christian verbiage, um, Christianese as we call it. Um, in reality, probably most Christians when they say that have no clue what they're saying either. They, they, just, they just say it because they've heard it before. But here we are in our context and we have the word receive. So what does Jesus mean when he uses the word receive here? Well. It, it means to welcome or, or to be hospitable towards because that's, 
<clears throat> That's the direction that Jesus gave the, the 12 apostles earlier in chapter 10, uh, when he says, acquire no gold or silver for your, or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or staff for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town you or village you enter, find who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. Meaning people are going to bring the apostles in. The apostles are going to stay there. They're going to be hospitable to them. So when Jesus says, whoever receives you receives me, he's saying essentially this, whoever welcomes the message you're bringing also welcomes me, the sender of the message. And that's actually clarified in verse 42 uh, when we read, and whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he's a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. That's, that's, that's an act of compassion. It's an act of hospitality. Anybody with a house, if you think about the, the, the area they're in, right? If you, if you have a home, what they would do, they didn't have indoor plumbing. So it's not like you could go turn on the tap and, oh, look, ground, gr nice cold groundwater is coming out for us. Um, what, what they would do is they would grab buckets of water and they would take them and they'd store them in their home, the jars actually. But they would, they, they would take jars and they would store them in the cool parts of the home so that when they had to bring someone in, they would have cool water to give them. It's, it's the smallest act that you could possibly do. Even sun-scorched water, you can't really scorch water, but you know what I mean. Really hot, been out in the desert sun, it's 115 degree water, right? Because it's 115 degrees outside. If you take it in a jar and you carry it into the shade, what, how many hours does it take to cool off? Like one or two, it's not that long. So probably one of the smallest acts of hospitality you could give, especially in this day when it's hot, is to say, please, come into my house. Let me get you a cup of water. You look weary. Let me care for you. So when we read verse 41, whoever receives a prophet because he's a prophet will receive a prophet's reward, what we're reading is this welcoming, this hospitable sort of reaction when somebody hears the, the, the message of God and they take it into themselves, they, they welcome it into themselves, they're being hospitable towards the message. They, they, they are hearing it and receiving it. Therefore, they're receiving the one who sent it. And now I, I realize I'm really beaten down on the terms. I get that. But it's because not all prophets should be received and not all people who look righteous should be received either. Uh, haven't you read of the Pharisees? Haven't we been reading of the Pharisees who outwardly, hey, man, they're, they're, uh, they, they're pretty good. They're pretty great. And yet Jesus says that when they fast and they look like they're fasting and they want everybody to know they're fasting, they've already received their reward. And it's not a good one. They're not getting any more. Or, or the Pharisees whom Jesus later in the Gospel of Matthew calls bleached tombs. Yeah, if, if there's any, if there's any sort of a, a like, like if somebody came up to me and said, you, you know, you're a bleached tomb. I mean, at first thing, if I'm just ignorant, I'm going to say, ah, yeah, and you know, honestly, clean. That sounds great. But Jesus is not saying that. He's saying they're stupid. They're they're washing the inside of the tomb, even though there's a dead body in it. Uh, he's he's saying you guys clean the outside of the bowl, not the inside. It's a little dumb. A little dumb of you guys. So people can look like righteous ones. They can sound like prophets and not be them. 
And there's kind of a, a, an adversarial flip side to this that Jesus doesn't mention, but talking about the Pharisees having already received their reward, if you receive a false prophet because he claims to be a prophet, I guarantee you're going to receive a false prophet's reward, and it is destruction. Might be a lot of admiration on this earth, but eternally, the reward is death. And even thinking in terms of our verses, when we try and define who the prophet, the righteous one, and the little, the little one are, it's kind of hard to do. Because Jesus is just illustrating it. He's not setting up offices, right? He's not saying like, all right, now Peter, you are a prophet. You, James, though, you're a righteous one. And, uh, and oh, by the way, you, Judas, not Iscariot, uh, but the other Judas, you, you're, you're a little one. You're pretty immature here. So, you know, these are your offices. He's not saying that. He's actually, he, he's actually ascribing just this general principle. Like if somebody were to come and, and they, let, let's say, let's say, um, well, Billy Graham, let's say Billy Graham was alive and Billy Graham was coming to Toledo. And we know the name of Billy Graham, right? Don't we? Hopefully everyone does. But we know the name of Billy Graham. Billy Graham's coming to Toledo. How many of us would fight over housing him? <laughs> Let's say he called us and he's like, hey, First Baptist Church of Toledo, it would be great if I could stay in one of your places. Most of us would be like, yeah, no, I'd, I'd like that. You can stay here. Um, or maybe we'd, we'd want to share a little bit and we'd say, all right, so I'm going to give money so we can get him a hotel room. We'll, we'll give it. We'll do it, right? We're receiving, receiving Billy Graham because his reputation precedes him. I know he's passed on. I get that. But, but, but uh, I'm, not, I'm not that ignorant. But the, the point stands. When a prophet comes to town, people want to receive the prophet. And when a righteous person is let's 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 say let's say Carl is giving me advice uh, for building something. I know his reputation. I know he's capable of it. So therefore, I want to listen to him. So Jesus is is not setting up offices. He's giving examples. He's giving illustrations. But what about the little one? How do we how do we clarify that? Now, if we were to really think about these things, we could think of a prophet as somebody who's bringing God's word. That's, what, that's literally what prophet means. It's a mouthpiece. Uh, to to, to taste means to, to, to sit and declare that which is given to you. That's all prophet means. A person can be a prophet by general definition, by cracking open their Bible, setting it in front of them, and reading it aloud. Because that's just the word of God being declared. That's all a prophet is. Sometimes that was announcing future destruction. Sometimes that was, <clears throat> that was saying what was not wanting to be heard. But it was directly from God through the person to the listeners, to the receivers. So we could think about, I, I mean, if we're really going to clarify these just for our own helpfulness, prophets would maybe be like the, 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 the leaders, the mature, the really mature leaders, um, the righteous ones. Okay, 
that's, that's going to be a mature believer who's living a righteous life. But then again, you get to the little one. Most of us read that and we're like, oh, little one, what a sweet way of Jesus talking about little kids. But that's not what he's talking about. Uh, he includes in verse 42 when he says, Any, and whoever receives one of these little ones, um, I'm sorry, and whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple. We're not talking about kids that are Christians. We're actually talking about maybe immature believers. And I mean, that's, that's understandable because if you play those verses out, the situations I just gave you, well-known Christian coming to town, everybody wants to receive them. Righteous person, yeah, we'll want to receive them, right? Sometimes maybe we get convicted because, you know, they're, they're so much better than I am. I said that out loud. Uh, <laughs> maybe we get convicted because they're better than we are, but we want to receive them. We want to welcome them. We want to be hospitable to them. But what about immature believers? How willing are we to receive them? Because most of the time, immature believers are the ones we have the biggest trouble tolerating. And that's really what should grip us as a rebuke, not specifically what Jesus is saying. Jesus is giving an encouragement to the apostles, right? You're going to be received. People will receive you. And when they receive you, they receive me. They're going to hear of your reputation coming and they're going to want to bring you in. Those who truly are faithful, they're going to want to bring you in and, you know, the, God's going to reward them for it. That's what, God, that's what Jesus is saying to the apostles. The, these people will receive you because you are of me. But when I, when I read these verses, I, I tend to think introspectively. I'm happy to receive the prophet. I'm happy to receive the righteous person. But, but the little one, the little ones are the ones that we kind of push off to the margins. We don't really want to have them because they're rough around the edges. And I think that's why Jesus throws in the switch. It's no longer uh, he will receive a reward, which it is for the prophet and the righteous person. But then you get to this last one and Jesus switches it. Uh, he, he, he says that he will by no means lose his reward. And that's where I get convicted. How willing am I to be hospitable to the rough around the edges Christian? How willing am I to, to be hospitable to the one that annoys the tar out of me? You all know that guy, right? You all know that, that, that immature believer who maybe, maybe they drop swear words all the time and you're just like, oh, I'm really uncomfortable right now. How willing are you to receive them, to rebuke them with kindness, to, to, to engage them in conversation that doesn't involve swear words from your mouth? Maybe you can prove, to, prove them that swear words are not necessarily punctuation. Um, that was me, by the way, in middle school. I used swear words almost like commas in sentences. Um, so, and high school. But, um, but there's that, that little switch there. So you're going to get rewarded for taking the prophet. You're going to get reward for taking the righteous person. But listen, you're not going to lose your reward for taking in the little one, the immature one. You're not going to lose it. It's not a waste of time to be hospitable and welcoming to the one who's immature. It's not. You will by no means lose your reward. 
Give them grace. Receive them to be hospitable. So again, the purpose of Christ in these verses was to encourage his apostles that they would be received, that they would be helped, that, that their reputation is going to go, well, Jesus's reputation is going to go before them. And so when they come and say, hey, I'm a, I'm a, <clears throat> a, 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 a disciple, an apostle of Jesus of Nazareth, they're going to be like, let's hear it. Let's hear what you have to say. I want to hear it. That's his point. But the command that we should take from these verses, knowing that we are not the apostles, the command that we should take, frankly, is that we should receive those whom God sends us, knowing that it's God's message being brought by somebody else. We should be willing to test these prophets to see if what they say is true. Be able to test the righteous person to make sure they're not pharisaical. That's only really going to happen if you're involved in their lives. But lastly, do not neglect the little ones. Do not let people fall into the margins just because they're, they're, they're maybe not as Christian as you are, as Christian as I am. And even saying that makes me sick to my stomach because I am a sinner saved by grace. I am not in and of myself that Christian. It's only by the grace of God working in me that, that I can even be considered a Christian. His sanctifying work, the Holy Spirit continuing to work in me, repentance and growth. How undeserving am I of that? And yet for me to be so prideful, to look at somebody who, ah, you know, honestly, you uh, bother me and so therefore I'm not going to listen to you. I don't really want you in my house because I'm not really sure what you're going to do. The fact that that's in the back of my mind with certain people, certain situations, what a sinner I am. How wretched is my own soul. So instead, do not neglect the little one. Be hospitable and welcoming to them. You're not wasting your time. You're not even ruining your rewards, to use Jesus' example, for spending time with these people. By the way, this is kind of a, kind of a sidestep, but you're not paying it forward. Don't, don't think, whenever I hear people say, well, I want to help the needy because I'm paying it forward, it, it, it kind of cringes me a little bit. Because it's like saying, God owes me for doing this good deed. I'm paying my money forward knowing I'm going to get a return on investment. Yeah. That's not the sort of reward we're talking about. We should not be expecting that we're going to be rewarded by God for our good deeds. Instead, we should, we should be uh, accepting the fact that we might only receive those rewards in heaven. Anyway, like I said, a little bit of a sidestep. But, but, but we're supposed to be showing Christian compassion and hospitality to those whom the Lord sends us. Be willing to spend time with them, to love them, to care for them, to, to cherish them. And sometimes, frankly, when the, when the little one comes to you, we, we need to be willing that they might run away too. But, but just, just to summarize with the author of Hebrews' uh, application, Hebrews 6, 10 to 12, he writes, For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work 
and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. God is not so unjust to overlook the good deeds that you do, the humility that you show, the love and mercy that you give. The mercy that you give in his name, serving the saints, God sees it. Author of Hebrews goes on, and we desire each of you to show the same earnestness, to have the, to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Your good works to the least of these, to use an old, uh, an old sentence, they're helpful. They assure you of the hope that you have. That's what our good works are supposed to do. It's not just supposed to make us feel better, better about ourselves, like, yeah, yeah, I'm a better Christian. But if we become isolated, if we, if, if we only focus on ourselves, frankly, we are neglecting the good work of salvation. Imagine if Jesus only saved himself. We can't. So, when we read these verses... We need to read them in the context of to the apostles, the assurance that they, they will be received, but they're also going to be rejected. And when they're rejected, they're persecuted. But again, don't forget, they will be received. And the person who receives them is going to be rewarded for receiving them. But we also need to remember, again, don't neglect the little ones. Don't shove immature believers to the margins. Because if you are hospitable, you will by no means even lose your rewards. But friends, you will gain. Let's pray. Lord, I'm so grateful that you gave these encouragements to your apostles. I can't imagine what they were going through at that time when you were telling all this to them. How many of them were, 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 were scared or maybe said to themselves, I don't want to go through this. I want to quit. Um, or maybe they thought you were lying to them about the reality of the persecution. I have no clue, but you knew. And that's precisely why you gave these words to them. And I pray that we would keep them, keep them in our hearts, that we're willing to receive those you send us who give the, me the message that you have given. I pray, Lord, that even now I would be giving only your message to us. I include myself because all I want is to proclaim what you have said, to apply it to our lives. So Lord, please, by your Holy Spirit, work into us this reminder to welcome those you send is to welcome you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. As the Lord sends you, Know that there will be some who receive you. There will be some who reject you, but they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting the Lord. The person that does receive you will be blessed, will be rewarded. And for those, you get to be grateful. Go in peace, saints.
Are you ready?